0: Alrighty. (laughs) Welcome back. Welcome back. We had a little extra minute to chat, so that's worked out perfectly (laughs) while I did a little parenting. So, um, I'm Sarah, if you don't know. Um, I'm our worship coordinator here. Um, And... Our pastor, Wally, is on a nice warm trip right now with his family, so happy for him um, and happy for us, not that they're gone, but that we have Andrew with us today who is part of our church family and um, always does a really great job um, when he does the teaching, so thank you, Andrew. Good morning. I want to be the first to say Happy New Year to everyone. Um, And interestingly, Sarah put our slides together, so she kind of got a little idea of what I was going to be talking about today. But I do want to let you know everything that we sang today in worship and things that people encouraged us with as we gathered are directly from my notes. So uh, obviously God is at work with with what we have to learn for today. Um, So like she said, I'm Andrew Keist, um, and so I want to tell you a little story. I like to kind of introduce what our topic is by telling a little story. So whenever Andrea and I, we go shopping in different stores um, that sell home goods or tchotchkes, um, I often see a lot of different signs um, that have kind of heartwarming sayings in them. Um, And so we're going to actually look at some of those, but they always make me chuckle because while they're meant to be encouraging or heartwarming, they often kind of have lost their meaning because we see them so often. Um, We see them on kitchen hand towels, signs that you might put on your wall or on your bookshelves. Um, Maybe this is something that people post on Facebook all the time. Um, And and you probably have seen these in the homes of your, your aunts, your grandmothers, your mother, or maybe you've even got some of these signs as well. Um, So our first sign um, is probably the one that we see the most, right? Live, laugh, love. Um, This is probably the most common that we see, and it's become a a little bit of an inside joke to today's youth, right? You've got people who are unkind to each other, and in response somebody might say, well, live, laugh, love. Um, And so while its origin in the 1904 poem Success by Bessie Anderson Stanley has probably got a lot more depth and meaning to it, um, this phrase has become so prevalent in shelves, uh, especially in stores like Target and TJ Maxx and Hobby Lobby, um, that it kind of makes you wonder, what, what does this actually mean? Um, our next sign, um, I'm going to go ahead and, and confess we have this one in our playroom at home. Um, but it says, please excuse the mess. My children are making memories. Um, so, you know, I, I read this and I wonder, okay, is it meant to be tongue-in-cheek? Or is it actually like an excuse for yourself to feel better about the fact that your house might be a mess? Um, I won't let you know why we have this sign. (laughs) Um, Of course, Andrew has to squeeze in a Disney reference, uh, but this one I kind of enjoy. So it says, in this house, we love each other to infinity and beyond because ohana means family and no one gets left behind or forgotten. So we just keep swimming or just let it go. Adventure is out there, so hakuna matata. We know that we aren't practically perfect in every way. We are never too old to wish upon a star. All it takes is faith, trust, and a little pixie dust. And we will live happily ever after, because a dream is a wish your heart makes. While this sign is cute, especially for a Disney family, uh, life isn't always a Disney fairy tale with a happy ending. This one feels especially cringy for me. Uh, Yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift, and that's why it's called the present. Um, While the sentiment is somewhat nauseating, the message is absolutely right. Uh, We need to realize that the past is in the past, the future is unknown, and thus nothing truly to worry about. Instead, we do need to recognize that today is a gift. Um, I feel like this, the message behind this sign is especially important for this time of year that we're currently in and the time of year that we're exiting and moving into with the new year, Um, because this time of year tends to be very sentimental or nostalgic for many of us. Uh, Believe it or not, this feel-good proverb is actually rooted in the beliefs of the church. But before we go there, I'd like for us to pray. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the snow and for a new day. Uh, I trust that everybody that is here is here for a reason because you wanted them to be here. And so I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying today. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so this is the Duomo di Milano, uh, a cathedral in Milan, Italy. Construction on this cathedral began in 1386, and it took 600 years for the construction to be completed. Um, When parishioners enter this cathedral, they pass through uh, one of three doors, above which each has its own inscription. On the right-hand door, there is a wreath, and below that wreath is carved the phrase all that pleases is for a moment. On the left-hand door is a cross, beneath which there's an inscription that says all that troubles Is but for a moment. And over the main entrance are the words, Nothing is important save that which is eternal. What a powerful message for us to contemplate as we enter the presence of God. It challenges us to be introspective about being at peace with the past, giving the present over to God, and looking forward to the future with expectation. So as we end a calendar year, this idea of reflection and retrospection is something that we as a culture, at least in America, we tend to do. Uh, People Magazine and Time Magazine issue special year-in-review copies, while television programs like the Today Show, Good Morning America, and the ABC Nightly News usually show a montage of major news stories from the past year or people that we lost too soon. Uh, The new year can also bring feelings of anxiety and uncertainty. So with the turning of the new millennium on January the, or December the 31st of 1999, warnings were issued that computers would be unable to turn their internal clocks to a new century, uh, resulting in the failure of all technology and the end of civilization as we know it. Uh, I used to be a high school history teacher and when I would tell my students this story of, of Y2K, they would look at me like we were crazy. Um, but as I sat in the living room of my aunt on that evening uh, waiting for midnight to come and all of the TVs and the lights to stop working, you know we were very surprised to see that everything continued exactly the way that it was. Uh, less than a month after the attack on Pearl Harbor, Americans found themselves more focused on enlistment and rationing rather than celebrating the new year. While in the days following 9-11, Americans were living in a place of simultaneous fear unity and patriotism and nearly a year after the start of the COVID-19 pandemic the stay-at-home orders the masking mandates and the fear of viral transmission kept Americans at home and celebrating the new year in groups of smaller than 10 people This anxiety and disappointment when it comes to the new year even trickles into our individual lives, even when the uh, the previous year was relatively peaceful and normal and happy. Americans make a tradition of establishing New Year's resolutions at the start of the new year, whether it's to lose weight, to spend less money, get more sleep, or to stop procrastinating. In fact, so many gyms have new memberships that are established within that week surrounding New Year that they actually make enough money to fund their entire operating expenses for the following calendar year. Uh, But Forbes Health and OnePoll conducted a survey recently that showed that the average American only upholds their New Year's resolution for 3.74 months before giving up, going back into their routine of gluttony, sloth, staying up too late, and ironically, procrastination. But all of these attitudes, the dread of the future, the retrospection of what has been lost, and this resolution to be less of a disappointment to ourselves and to others are rooted in our own brokenness, fear, and a feeling of insufficiency. But this is not how God created us. So 2 Timothy... 1 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Other translations use the word timidity, but of power and sound mind. First John four eighteen supports this verse uh, by saying, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. So if we're truly in Christ, how can we fear? Fear is the opposite of faith, and we're caused or we're we're charged to live a life of faith over fear. Uh, Jesus recognized, however, our imperfection and addressed this very real idea of fear and worry in our lives in his Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew six twenty-five through 34, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are they not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? Next slide, please. See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, he will, not much more, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Next slide. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, what if we made verse 33, the verse that's highlighted up there in blue, our New Year's resolution? I like what the New Living Translation says in verse 33 Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything we need. So what if we made this the resolution to grow in our faith, to trust in God, to know him better, or to love others with the love of Christ more? What if we in this new year determined to be present with people here, to love as Christ loved, and to put our actions where our heart is, and vice versa? Now, it's the new year. This is not a feel-good message about simply looking forward to the future nor am i disparaging the hardships that many of us have experienced in the past year like the lyrics of a bob marley song suggest don't worry about a thing because every little thing's going to be all right god doesn't expect us to only live in the present he didn't see himself as only rooted in the future as evidenced by how he referred to himself as the god of abraham isaac and jacob rather god wants us to use the past to our advantage to be present in today and to become better in our future. So after as an example after demonstrating his expertise at driving backwards, the 21st century American philosopher Tom Mater explained to his friend Lightning McQueen, I can only know where I'm going when I know where I've been. So, let's look at this from a Jewish perspective. God wants us to be retrospective about what we have experienced in the past year to reflect on our lives. So what if moving into tomorrow and the coming months, we had a year in review in our own lives? What if we asked ourselves, what did God try to teach me this year? What if we lived into that revelation? So this is the basis for the Jewish festival of Rosh Hashanah. Taking place over a period of several days, the festival features customs and traditions that encourage participants to practice teshuva, or repentance. On both an individual and a collective basis, the Jewish community, both ancient and modern, consider their actions of the previous year, looking for ways to improve themselves, their community, and the world as a whole. One of the more fascinating practices for Rosh Hashanah to me is the practice of Tashlik, a ceremony where participants throw breadcrumbs into a moving body of water. And that symbolizes them giving their sins over to God in the the metaphor of God casting our sins into the sea and being covered so that he remembers them no more. Rosh Hashanah then concludes with Yom Kippur when the shofar, a ram's horn, is blown like a trumpet. And this encourages the faithful participants to turn inward into a spirit of repentance, reconciliation, and purification before God. So to summarize, this entire festival of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is a period of reflecting on the past, recognizing where God has been in the joys and sorrows of that year, and then renewing your commitment to be made right with God and others in the year to come. So while these holidays are ancient and practiced by those who are living under the Old Covenant, those of us who live under the New Covenant as Christians can take these ideas and apply them to our lives as well. God is a God of new beginnings. So we should learn from our past and then lean into the future that God has for us. We need to live into expectation. Hope and expectation were what the Jewish people lived with for hundreds if not thousands of years as they waited for the Messiah, who they're still waiting for today to set Israel free. But we who are believers and followers of Jesus have full access now, not for hope in the Messiah, but for the hope of Jesus. So, what kind of hope and expectation do we have for the following year? Psalm one hundred and thirty-nine, verse five says, "You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me." Right? We might have anxiety about our future. We need to remember this. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to thirty says, "Come to me, all who you all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So with that anxiety about the future we need to remember that we're not going into this alone but that Jesus walks alongside us. Maybe we have guilt and shame for something from this past year. We need to remember, like that practice of tashlik, that God has removed our sins and remembers them no more. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So as a God of new beginnings, we can become a people of new beginnings. Maybe you found yourself a lukewarm believer this past year. Luckily, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the modern-day church, we have a tendency to live a life where Sunday is the Lord's Day and the other six days are the world's days. I would challenge you in this new year to stop living a segmented life, but rather live a fully integrated life for God by being present with Him and having hope for your future. In fact, God has a lot to say about this idea of living a segmented life. So we're going to look at a verse in Deuteronomy. Did anybody spend their Bible study time this week in Deuteronomy? We tend not to read this, but it's very important. So in Deuteronomy, God made this idea of being fully present with God in all aspects of life very clear to the Jewish people. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your heads and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and gates. God doesn't just talk about us focusing on him wherever we go, but he also talks about him focusing on us wherever we go. In Psalm 139, the psalmist recognizes this truth. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even in the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. But these commandments were not just for the Old Testament Jews, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Paul encourages us in his letters to the churches throughout the Roman world, Romans 12 implores us, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And in his letter to the Colossians, Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, To those who are truly in Christ, all things are spiritual. This is living out what Matthew says in chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. We are called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We're supposed to be bringing flavor, preservation, enlightenment, and hope to the world, not being influenced and dragged down by the world. In America, we tend to see a distinction or a dichotomy between Christian and secular movies, Christian and secular culture, Christian and secular music, Christian and secular stores, and even peppermints versus... Next slide. Testaments. (laughs) So this, this split, this dichotomy can often lead some individuals to being holier than thou, more focused on isolating or protecting themselves from the American culture that can corrupt, rather than using their saltiness to actually go out and influence the world. Jesus never said, go hide yourself off in the hills, doing church for church people, only hanging out with other Christians, and spurning anything that was not created by, for, and about Christians. In fact, Jesus went out to be by people who were not like him. He hung out with the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. He wanted us to be out in the community like him, being the salt and the light for our unbelieving neighbors, to be cultural influencers rather than influenced by culture. If we truly live as a citizen of the kingdom, we begin to see Christ and biblical truths in everything. So consider these two films. The Matrix can be seen as an allegory of Jesus, the coming Savior, while Star Wars episodes three through six is a story of the prodigal son, with Darth Vader going from darkness to light. Our world is hungry for the love of Christ. I see it every day in my ministering to middle school students at Thornapple Kellogg Middle School. Our lives are meant to be a fragrance, they add flavor to the world around us and they bring light to the darkness. Perhaps this is why some of the most popular musicians in America today span that gap between Christian and secular music. They sing about things that resonate with the soul, whether Christians or non-believers. Many of these are household names, bands like Switchfoot, Lauren Daigle, U2, Need to Breathe, and Under Oath. None of us are famous musicians who reach millions of people. So what does it look like to reflect on our past, to live in expectation and hope for the future, and to be present in our today by living a life fully integrated for God? So consider the story of Eric Liddell. He was born in 1902 to Christian missionaries who served in northern China. Throughout his grade school years, Liddell showed athletic ability, excelling both in cricket and rugby. As a college student, he decided to become a runner. Uh, And he became such a good runner that he was the fastest runner in Scotland and eventually in all of Britain. He was incredibly committed to his relationship with Christ and gave God all authority over his life. And so as a result, he took the scriptures very seriously. As an athlete, especially someone who had aspirations to be a professional athlete, it was required that he train several times a day and several days in order to be the best that he could. But he refused to give up what he believed in about his relationship with God. And so he refused to practice on Sundays, determined in his soul to honor the Sabbath as the commandments commanded Liddell's success as a runner ultimately qualified him to participate in the 1924 Olympics. And he was on track to earning gold medals in both the 100-meter and 400-meter relay. But he refused to continue to practice on Sundays, which disqualified him for these particular events. And so instead, he decided to sign up for the 400-meter individual race, which was an area of weakness for him. He surprised spectators, and himself, when during the finals races for the Paris Olympics, he went on to break a number of records and won the gold medal for the 400 meter race. When he was interviewed about his win, Liddell explained, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. It has been a wonderful experience to compete in the Olympic games and to bring home a gold medal. But since I have been a young lad, I have had my eyes on a different prize. You see, each one of us is in a greater race than any I have run in Paris, and this race ends when God gives out the medals. We need to take inspiration for people from people like Eric Liddell. As we come upon a new year, we need to ask ourselves, who is my true self that God has created me to be? And do I want that true self to be my segmented life with my one day versus six days, or do I want that self to be who I am all seven days of the week? Am I willing to let my past go, my traditions, my habits, my hang ups, burdens, and fetters, to embrace all that God has for me this year and beyond? Am I content to live a lukewarm life and continue to have lukewarm results? As we consider these questions and what it will cost us, no matter what we decide, we need to keep in mind the words of another great 20th century philosopher, the great Jedi Master Yoda. Do or do not, there is no try. So as we count down tonight to 2024, let's not count down out of ritual or tradition or even of a sense of fear or dread of what is to come. Rather, let's count down in the joy and expectation of the good things that God has planned for us this upcoming year and the ways that we will partner with him in living life to the full for him every day and everywhere we go. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, that you have a plan for each of us, that you had a ways that you were working in our lives this past year, Help us to learn from the things that have happened to us and the words that you've spoken to us so that as we move forward, we can continue to partner with you in the year to come. Help us to have the courage and the bravery to trust you in the days and the months that are coming in 2024. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.